Oh, hey, Toad. Uh, what are you doing here? I'm here to podcast! Uh, don't you think your, um, your voice is a little obnoxious for this show? I mean, are, is, do people really want to go listen to that? No way! It'll be great! Alright, look, man, I, I was trying to be polite, but you are not coming on this show. Um, maybe if you were Sean Connery, but, uh, there's, there's just no way. Ah! Oh, no, 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 don't be sad. Tell you what. How about you just say the name of our show, and then we'll be good? Okay! Alright, this is... Red Pages Podcast! everybody, it is Wednesday, January 21st, 2015. This is Red Pages Podcast. I am Justin. I'm Paul. And this week we have with us a special guest. Special guest, what is your name? I'm David D'Angelo. Hello. I'm Hello. Guest. He's joining us from the Yacht Club Games game studio, creators of Shovel Knight. We're going to start out, actually, uh, we, he, he's here for the interview section first. We're doing things out of order because we're wild and wacky like that. Um, new year, new format that won't stick for another. Yeah, season two. This is episode one of season two of Red Pages Podcast, which means that every rule is made to be broken. So, um, David, we, we have a collection of questions here for you. So if you're, if you're ready, we'll, we'll jump right in, I guess. Right. Uh, the, first, yeah, the first question is, uh, when is Shovel Knight coming out? When is it coming out? Yes, when is Shovel Knight coming out? Uh, well, technically it's out already for uh, PC, Mac, and Linux, and Wii U and 3DS, uh, but the PlayStation SKUs are um, a mystery, but they're going to be early this year. Uh, we're not sure 100% yet. Uh, we're still trying to figure out like everything we want to do and put in there, um, but yeah, sometime early. Cool. You also... I guess that also answers that also answers the second question, which is what platforms is Shovel Knight coming out on? Yeah. Uh, question number three is: uh, I pre-ordered or backed Shovel Knight on Kickstarter, and I'm confused. How do I get the game? <laughs> um, how do you get the game if you if you back, backed it on Kickstarter? Uh, well, you would you should have already received it by now. <laughs> if you backed. All right. All right. So. I want to change my Kickstarter pledge from one platform to another, like from 3DS to Wii U. What do I do? Um, I've, I have a feeling like I prepared these questions. <laughs> <laughs> it, it may be. This, this may be uh, a thing that was suggested that we lead off with. Uh, yeah, what was that question, though? Uh, 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 no, we, you don't actually have to answer any more of these questions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for for those of for those of our listeners who who are not in on this joke, I was just reading the FAQ off of Yacht Club's Games uh, website, just, just because I figured that would be the easiest questions to oh, answer to start it, out with. Actually, our, our website is. I thought it yeah, was, that yeah. is just all of these questions are on your website. I, I thought it might have been our original Kickstarter, like the questions. No, there are questions here that I am curious about, like uh, when is Shovel Cart coming out? Oh uh, yeah. Or uh, will Shovel Knight become a mermaid? But those were not the questions that we prepared. <laughs> but, but 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 just just off the record, is Shovel Knight going to become a mermaid? 
Um, I mean, who knows? Maybe Shovel Knight already is a mermaid. Oh, oh yeah. We didn't even think of that. Yeah. <laughs> Mind blown. Yeah. All right. So, um, let's, let's jump into the actual questions. <laughs> um... So the fir- some of these questions were drawn uh, indirectly from a forum thread, so their uh, their order is not in any particular cohesive logical flow. But I figured I would just go in the order that I found them. Um, the first question is, uh, what what is the high score at, in your office on Mona's mini game? Oh shoot! You know, I think I had the highest. But I'm not sure, and it, it was somewhere in the 300s, maybe like 350 okay. or something like that. So you, okay, so you had you had more than doubled what the high score in the thread I was looking at was. Oh really? Wow. Okay. Yeah, they were like they were like yeah, 100, 115. Yeah, I mean we had we had that competition going for sure uh, for a long time, where every time someone like beat the score, we would you know we'd post it and make fun of each other's. <laughs> Yeah, I imagined. I imagined that was a uh, that was why we decided to lead off with it. So, I guess Shovel Knight is a game with a lot of retro aesthetic. Obviously, one of the things that it has in common with many other older games is that, by modern standards, it could be considered quite difficult. Yeah. Um, so, I know that uh, uh, other indie game designers, and like specifically Edward McMillan, who made Super Meat Boy. Um, who also makes very, very difficult games, always beats his games just on the hardest difficulty with all the challenges up to prove that it can be done before release. And there are a lot of challenges, in, and the achievements especially, in Shovel Knight. So I was wondering if anybody at Yacht Club had actually successfully gone through and done it all. I know like other people have done it. It's been uh, done. But I was wondering yeah, if that was something that... Definitely. Like, we've definitely done it. Um, and... Uh, I mean, I don't know how, how good Edmund is on his own games, but, like, he's, for us... I mean, his, he and his wife, I know, are both insane. Yeah, for us, it's, like, very, very easy. It's, like, not even a challenge to, mm. you know, complete the game or do those challenges. Um, I mean, we're so, like, experienced. I mean, like, imagine if you played a three-hour game or whatever every day of your life for, you know, and you knew every single in and out of it that could be, like, known. Um like, th- that's our experience playing the game, right? Like, we might not necessarily be, like, as good at controlling a game as, like, a speedrunner or whatever, at, like, being, you know, frame-perfect manipulation of a character, but, like, we still, like, we know everything there is to know. Um, so, like, everything's pretty easy to us, I would say. Like, we're, I mean, when what, right before the game is completed, we're, like, we're playing through the game from start to finish, getting all the achievements, like, every hour. Like, hun- hundreds of times a day. That's uh, that's pretty intense. Yeah. Also. Yeah. And at the end of at the end of a game, like you know, after like when Shovel Knight wrapped, like, and this is pretty true of like any game we've worked on. It's like you're usually like pretty done with the game. You never want to play it again. <laughs> yeah. Um, like with I Shovel guess. Knight, we had we had no. We, I mean, we had a, a few of our friends testing the game, but we didn't really have like the normal QA that a game would have because we didn't have the money to pay for it. Right. Yeah, I guess and that's also one of the the advantages if you're working at a huge studio is you, you you can work on a game for years and then it comes out and you still haven't seen 90% of the game because you've got a, a thousand people working on it. 
Yeah, right. Or you haven't, you know, you haven't played it to the extent that we've played it, which is like way too much, right? Um, yeah. So you, so you get to enjoy it when you play it. Yeah, I guess you. So you guys are big, big believers in the uh, play testing forever philosophy. Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. It's really, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I think it's like. I mean, for one, we're making these games a lot, a lot for ourselves, right? Like, these are the kind of games we want to play, and, like, we want to make sure we like them, right? So we got to know... You can't know if you like it unless you play it. Um, yeah. So, so was there stuff that, that was it? I guess you were, you were playing through it, iterating and iterating. Was there stuff that was cut from Shovel Knight that, just, like, an idea that just didn't pan out or you didn't have the time to put it in? Like, what... What was some of the stuff that you left on the cutting room floor? We definitely had stuff that we cut, but it was nothing too uh, major, I would say. Uh, like, we had a level in the game um, that we, like, decided... We just decided there were too many levels. <laughs> and uh, we cut, like... So if you know, like, the lead-up to the Enchantress, uh, there's, like, a few tower stages. Like, we ended up cutting one of the tower stages. Because it was just like this is getting boring. <laughs> like we don't have enough ideas to fill up, to fill three tower stages or whatever. Um, and then I was going to say that, ne- <laughs> say that then, never stopped uh, Capcom from making Doctor Wily's <laughs> castle eleven stages long, right. even though that maybe wasn't the best idea. So yeah, at least you've uh, you've you've improved on the retro aesthetic in that regard. Yeah, and then we had like we I mean we had lots of like goofy ideas and silly concepts that didn't get into the game, but uh I mean most of them I'm sure we'll save like we'll you we'll do them at some point in some game. Uh you know, like like we're usually like holding on to like things that like didn't make it in and trying to think of where we could do them next. All right. So, I guess in when in that early early stages of Shovel Knight, what what did Shovel Knight, I guess, look like? Did it... Did you, did you come up with the gameplay first or the aesthetic first? Or, was, like, how how difficult was it to get everybody on board with keeping things as close to NES perfect as I know you guys did? I, rem- I read an article that was on... Um, I think it was on Gamma Sotra, like, pretty, reason, uh, pretty recently after... Not recently. Right. Pretty uh, close to when the game came out. Um, talking about how much effort and time was put into preserving what the NES could achieve as close to that as possible. And so how how difficult was it to get everybody on board with that, and what did Shovel Knight look like when you were first sitting down? Was it originally a, a knight? Was, did he originally have a shovel? What, did, what was that like? Yeah, I mean, the, the original idea for the game... I mean, we sort of decided want to make a a game with like uh we wanted to build a really big game but like in our scope so we're you know we're uh half a dozen people and we want to do this kickstarter we want to make a big deal out of it, building a big game but we knew we couldn't make you know uh Raymond Legends quality 2D art and something we always wanted to do was make like a NES style game um because we were doing things like we worked on Double Dragon Neon and Contra 4 and A Boy in His Blob. So, like, all these NES, like, you know, reimaginings or, rema- or you know, sequels or remakes or whatever you want to call them. And so it was it was always, like, in the back of our head, like, 
hey, wouldn't it be really cool if we made the first one in that series, right? If we made the original idea. So we always had this, like, thought of making, like, an NES-style game. Like, it w- like we, like, the start of a new series, you know, beginning with NES. Um, and so I, I guess the, like, getting everyone on board with that was, like, not a problem. Um, and then from there, we started with, uh, we started with the mechanics. So originally we said, hey, like, what should we do, right? What, sh- what kind of NES game should we make? And uh, and we wanted to base it off a simple mechanic because, like, the games you're playing these days are, like, really, really complicated, right? Um, mm-hmm. So we thought, like, it's a game born out of, like, one or two mechanics would be really fun. And we were playing Zelda 2 at the time, and the downthrust in that game feels very, like, not like underutilized. It's, like, it feels amazing in that game, and we love, like, the combat in that game. Um, but you get the down thrust, like, really late in the game, and we thought it would be really fun to make a whole game out of it. Um, so that was the so, sort of the initial inspiration, and then we sort of were, like, pairing, like, what kind of attacks would work well with that down thrust, and we kept doing, like, flipping or digging motions, and basically we decided the only thing that worked uh, with that motion was a shovel. Like, that was the only a weapon that would... Like, like a sword doesn't work. Like, you can't flip people with a sword, right? Um, so that that's sort of where Shovel Knight was born. And, like, I mean, the... Uh, I think the visual design came, like, pretty... Like, was there pretty early on. Like, he went through a couple phases, but he, like... Pr- he basically always had that look. Um, and then... Yeah, I mean, from there, like, it was it was more... Well, the difficulty of the NES was really figuring out, like, how simple it, an NES had to be. And you can see, like, in that article you're referring to, like, you know, King Knight's original design in pixel was, like, really complicated looking. And we just figured out that, like, you know, the pixel artists on the NES built much simpler looking sprites than they did with, like, in the, in the Super Nintendo era, even though they could be more complicated, right? Um, mm-hmm. So it was a lot of like of figuring out what looks like an NES game versus even even when we're like being in the limitations, sometimes it doesn't look like an NES game. Uh, so that was like a lot of the difficulty. Of. So uh, yes, NES games even within that confi- the con- I guess the confines of, of saying this has to look like an NES game are really really varied looking. Oh yeah, um, so right. like. So like if like if you look at the and even regionally like if you look at the Japanese version of Castlevania three, it had a special chip in it that was doing all sorts of crazy stuff with the music and moving backgrounds and gears turning and stuff that just doesn't show up in the English release. So I guess were you looking? How how broadly did you cast your net when you said it I just mean, has to look like it's on the NES? I mean, we we looked at everything, and I mean I guess we in general tried to get like. A, a look that was sort of like how you remember the NES or or like if the NES was going to be, if they kept making NES games, like if they made an NES game in 2015, right? What would that, what would that NES game look like? Um, so it would be like a little more advanced, right? It would probably, you'd probably want to, like it'd probably be the same carts or whatever, but maybe it'd have, like, one more music channel like the Castlevania 3 um, chip had, or it would, you know, just have a little more complexity, right? You know, if you look at, like, the the big difference in those NES games was really, like, that they put the, the technology for the games onto the actual physical cart, 
So games like, you know, Battletoads or Kirby or uh, Castlevania 3, which came much later, had more advanced technology in them. You know, like, the reason they're able to, like, vertically scroll in Super Mario 3 versus Super Mario 1 is because they put a better chip in it, right? Right. Um, Right. We sort of thought, like, you know, what would be the next, like, evolution of that technology if they, you know, they brought it, like, one year later or whatever. Um, That was generally, like, our thought process. And then, like, but not going too far with it to where it didn't feel like a real NES game anymore, right? Like, we didn't want it to, we didn't want it to go, like, you know, in 2015, if they were still making NES games, they'd probably look like Super Nintendo games, right, or something like that. Uh, so okay. it was figuring out that balance, I guess. Cool, cool. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think even compared to a lot of uh, NES games, Shovel has a very simple story. Um, I just kind of want to know how uh, the narrative of the game kind of came into being and how interested you're actually telling, interested you were in telling a story as opposed to just creating the sweet game? Uh, I mean, our, our focus was definitely on gameplay. Like, I mean, that was, that's the most important thing. And so it, like, figuring out how the, um, story worked into the gameplay is, like, really where we're coming from. But it was really important to us that, like, you know, for the people that find story, like, really meaningful, that, the story was there, and, like, the story could be a reason you were playing the game. Um, or, like, a, you know, a, a icing on your cake or whatever. Right, right. The character needs a motivation. Yeah. Um, so that that's sort of where we came from. And, I mean, and in terms of, like, what, like, how complex we wanted it, we wanted to be, like, an NES game story. Like, we wanted to be, like, the best story on the NES, right? I mean, that's essentially what we were going for. It's like, if we if you were to make, like, the best NES game possible, like, what would you do? Um, so, yeah, so that, that's sort of, like, what was our, our idea behind it. And then, so, we're, originally we started with, uh, like, we just took the idea of the shovel, basically, and said, well, like, let's make a story out of that. Um, at first we had a princess, because that's, like, what you did in this NES game, right? Yeah. And... Um, and just looking at those stories, they just felt, like, boring, and no one cares, right? Especially, like, in today's times. Like, a princess might have, you might have gotten away with back then, and, like, that was exciting, but now no one, like, really wants to save a princess anymore. They've done that so many times, it's boring. Uh, yeah, so, even Peach doesn't get kidnapped in the Mario games anymore, right? So yeah. he's, like, someone else. Um, so, we thought... Uh, Basically, like, what could we do with that same model, that same damsel in distress model, which, like, was really a part of the 80s, and, like, I guess a lot of what we were trying to do in this game was say, like, hey, there are these valuable things in the NES era that maybe aren't working today, um, but they're still great, and, like, let's just show how they, like, people should still use them, or could, can use them effectively. So, like, one, so this is an example, was, like, the damsel in distress, we started with the princess, we said, hey, that doesn't really work. And then we said, you know, basically, we have, you know, we turned her into Shield Knight, where it was like a someone on the same level as Shovel Knight, someone who you thought was like a companion, you know, an equal, uh, you know, warrior to Shovel Knight, someone that it felt like, like Shovel Knight didn't get along, like couldn't get along in the world without Shield Knight. Um, yeah, so that was that step, and then basically we. Uh, 
what, what, what didn't happen, uh, which was our next step, was we basically said we wanted a... Like, the idea was that Shovel Knight would bury Shield Knight in the end, and that's the reason he had a shovel. So mm-hmm. Shield Knight was actually going to die. Um, and, it, and it ended up just being... Because, like, a lot of our motivation uh, was we, we wanted that sort of, um, the, like, goofy, the goofy, like, somber feel that, like, a Mother 3 or Earthbound game had. Um, so we initially thought, like, the best way to get that was, like, to be goofy and, and also have this, like, very dramatic, you know, death at the end. Um you know, and having the purpose of Shovel Knight being that he has this shovel to, you know, for, he knows he's going into this situation, like, and he brought the shovel for a reason, it's, like, really sad, and, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> and, wow. And, and, like, when we were putting that in, it just felt, it just didn't feel like it matched what we, re- like, what we originally intended, and, you know, and we had this idea for the final battle, which was them working together, and it just felt like, it was like un- we we're unfairly punishing uh, the player, and like you know, it just didn't it just didn't feel like um, it felt like we'd be betraying the like the person that put time into it, if that makes sense. Right. Um, so we like so we reworked the story to basically what the point it is now. Well, that's that's interesting. So, do you see? Yes, because you say you you put sort of the gameplay and the aesthetic of the game over the story. Do you see maybe the more important story, and like story in quotes here, if we expand our definition of story from just what's in the game to sort of the in, the development of the game and the reception? Do you feel like like the most interesting story of Shovel Knight is the story of the community that sort of grew up around it and supported it when it was? sort of a nascent idea and has continued to play it and get better at it. I mean, it was, it was at AGDQ this year, right? So yeah. like, do you, do you think that that's the real story of Shovel Knight? Um, I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, like for, for me, that's like a really like important part. Like, I guess the, you know, like, I've worked on a lot of other games, and the biggest change with this game is, like, how it's really been, like, a community experience as opposed to the these old games I've worked on. Um, and, and from day one, like, you know, it was Kickstarter, right? And so, like, people were involved in supporting us every step of the way. We were making the game from, like, we have no idea what it is to it's like a finished product and or into, until it's like six months out and people are playing it at speedrunning. Yeah, so that, I, I mean, that was like the really meaningful uh, story to me for sure. Um, and I, I'm sure for a lot of people it had that same effect. Like, you know, the, the 15,000 people that backed us on Kickstarter, I'm sure were playing the game and thinking like, you know, I had a part in this. Uh, which is really really cool. So would you would you like use Kickstarter again for another game? Like, it was uh, a positive enough experience. Like we've talked about it a lot. Uh, it's hard because I mean, first because like doing a Kickstarter is like oh, it's a lot of work, right? And a lot it's a lot of <laughs> yeah. it's a lot of work that isn't going into the game development, right? It's like supporting that community, keeping them updated. 
like letting everyone you know get their rewards and their all that stuff. Um, right, and if you have physical rewards, how much of that is actually going to come out of your cut? Right, and like making those rewards, right? Like we had to yeah. make those rewards, we had to stuff them all in boxes, we had to ship them all. I mean, it was like it was a ton, a ton of work. Um, and you know, just keeping fifteen thousand people in the loop about a game is like a, an incredible challenge, right? Um, mm. So, like, I mean, but we do really enjoy that part of it at the same time. Like, it was really, really fun to do it that way. Um, so, I guess we're not sure about that. And then, like, the other part is, like, um, at this point, like, we, we're we not sure if we would need... It depends on, like, the kind of game we made, right? But we, like, we might not need funding to do another game. So, it's like, at that point, do we do, like, a $1 Kickstarter or something dumb? <laughs> Uh, and just to, like just to get people on board with it, or you know, just to get the community started. Um, so that's sort of the uh, experience, I guess. And then, uh, but another part, like we do, I don't know. It's tough. <laughs> I think it depends a lot. Oh yeah, kick, I mean Kickstarter. Yeah, I mean we like we love the experience, but it's like it's. I guess it's figuring out if it makes sense. The next game we do is really the. Deciding factor. Right. I mean, you could always kickstart a potato shovel yeah, salad. Yeah, that would work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, potato salad, like, shaped in shovel knight shape. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, no, you just you just eat it with a right. shovel. Uh, yeah, That's the innovation. Yeah, yeah, that would be brilliant. It's, 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 a, ret- it's, a, it's a new innovative take on a retro <laughs> twist, just like shovel knight. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think you uh, convinced me. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, talking about uh, AGDQ, I remember that uh, they kept blaming uh, David, who I'm assuming is you, for all the enemies that they disliked, um, and <laughs> yeah. you weren't there to defend yourself, so that I was, felt kind I, of cheap. No, I was there. Oh, you were? I was, okay. I was, yeah, I was the one saying, oh, that's my enemy. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, yeah, okay. I, don't, I don't know if they could hear me. I haven't listened to like the recording to what it actually sounded like, but... Yeah, sometimes it seemed like my I wasn't coming through, but yeah, I was definitely there. Okay. How, how do you uh, like having made all the enemies that people hate? Oh, I mean, I I like that was that was so enjoyable for me. I can't tell you. Like every time they they pointed out an enemy, it was like, oh yeah, that's mine. <laughs> I mean, but they I mean at the same time they're pointing out, you know, like. You know, the everything that went into the game was programmed by Ian or myself, so it's like it's it's a 50% chance that it is one of the things I did, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so like it's, it's not as you know they they love you know most of the stuff I did, and the things they don't like they don't like because you know it has RNG in it or whatever you know some something that makes it hard for their speed run. So, what was the best bug that you ran into in development of Shovel Knight? The best bug. You know, I don't know. I don't know if we had any really bad bugs. I mean, the thing that always that comes to mind for me right away is I, I implemented the the stereoscopic 3D on the 3DS, um, and that was just like <laughs> like I went blind from doing it. Uh, I mean, that's like the the bad experience I think about when making the game is like you know initially like. You know, it's like you have one eye displaying black, and you have one eye displaying the game, or you have, like, your eyes are crisscrossed because they're, you know, the right eye is displaying the left eye, and the left eye is displaying the right eye, or things like that. 
Um, so, but and sometimes it's like so close, but you don't know if it's broken. Um, so it's just like a really painful experience of knowing, uh, like if, is it, if it's actually working or if I'm going blind from doing it. Are you Are you blind now? Like, did, is that what happened? <laughs> did you get to sue Nintendo for millions? I'm not actually blind, but I okay. Lots. Um, so, at this point, has everything been discovered in Shovel Knight, or are there still, like, undiscovered secrets or Easter eggs that you haven't heard of anybody finding? Uh, you know what? I'm not 100% sure. I, I think, I, I want to say everything's been discovered, but, um... I mean, you never know, right? They, like, there was that thing that just got discovered in Halo after what, fifteen years or something. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I think everything's been found. Uh, I mean, there are like in, a billion cheat codes. I'm not sure if all of them have been found. I think, I think they've all been found, but uh, I don't know if people know what all of them do. I mean, that's a lot of what I was thinking through. Uh, oh right, yeah. There's 300 of them, so it's like, <laughs> like to know if everyone's found them all is very difficult. Like I'm sure, I'm sure someone's gone through everyone and tried to figure them out, but uh, yeah, I can't remember. Um, yeah, but there's definitely some like harder to harder to find uh, what they do cheat codes. Um, but I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that people haven't found. All right. Um, speaking of those cheat codes, um, what what inspired? the tremendous number and variety of codes that this game has. Uh, so we had a, a Kickstarter award called, that we didn't plan at all, <laughs> Just, you know, but it was called uh, Give Me the Dirt, right? Um, so part of it was for 100 bucks in our Kickstarter, you would get a, you would get an envelope filled with dirt from us. Uh, so basically people bought dirt. And we decided uh, people probably won't do that, right? For a hundred bucks. I mean, it's it's a funny idea because like shovel knight's digging dirt, but like we don't believe anyone will do it. So let's like get, put something a little extra. So we decided we we would do we would do a secret that only you knew. Um, so that would be like part of getting the dirt is you get a secret along with it. And but we didn't plan what that secret would be or have any idea, like how we how would we implement a unique secret. Or or how many people would do it? So it ended up 300 people back at that level, uh, which was like, oh crap! Now we got to figure something. Uh, now we should get 300 handfuls of dirt. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, and so I mean that's essentially where it started. And you know, it, we we decided, hey, we're gonna do something like with a name entry. Uh, let's like put in secrets that way, and we started. We did like. Uh, 20 secrets or something, and then we were like, oh my god, this will take like 100 years to do 300 of them. Like, let's give up now. <laughs> and then and then one day, I, I, I pretty much was like, I'm just going to put in 300 today. That's like what I'm going to do, and I just like went crazy. Um, and yeah, I mean, a lot of them are pretty stupid. Like, it's like, oh, you like beat level 1 automatically, beat level 2 automatically, beat level 3 automatically, right? Um, but yeah, some of them, some of them, I mean, we started to have like a lot of fun with it where it was like, you know, like once like there's things like the big, you know, the shovel lights four times the size on screen. Uh, it just got to a point where it was like, it was really fun to see how like how bizarre we could be with the cheat codes. 
Yeah, I was gonna like put in that my name is Zelda, hoping I would get the second quest, but that didn't work. Uh, yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> um, speaking of Zelda, I was actually surprised when you said earlier that you you were thinking about the down thrust from Zelda too, because I would have guessed that the uh, the down thrust from Shovel Knight came from Ducktales. Yeah, I, I, I mean a lot of people think that. I think our like our down thrust turned out being more like the Ducktales one. But we def- yeah, it's very pogo. Yeah, we we definitely didn't have that in mind. I mean, really, that like pogo move is like a staple of all NES games. Like, you know, Mario is basically a pogo, right? Like you bounce that right. guy's head um, when you land right. on it. But so, once once you're jumping off with a thing as you're <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I for all I know, that's like exactly what happened in Ducktales too, right? They probably like played Zelda two and they're like, "This is really good," but like that that down thrust could be like way better. Um, let's, like, make a whole game out of that, right? Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, ours is definitely a lot different than DuckTales, and, like, once we once we were, like, you know, 50% into the game and realized it was a lot like DuckTales, we were looking at DuckTales a lot for inspiration, um, especially because, like, a lot of our mechanics, you know, like the treasure, hunting for treasure and stuff like that, like, all the secrets are very DuckTales-esque. Um, yeah. Is Shovel Knight a duck under there? <laughs> he could be. Maybe he's a mixture between a duck and a mermaid. Oh, man. Okay, so is the top half a duck, or is the bottom half a duck <laughs> in that particular situation? I, I, who knows? It could be, like, split, you know... I guess it would have to be the bottom, no, right? Because he's got like, legs. It could, it could be the bottom half would be a duck, because he's got legs. He's vertically right a duck and uh, a mermaid. He's got the, the, le- <laughs> the legs of a, of a duck and the head of a fish. <laughs> He's just got. He's just uh, had mermaid arms. That's it. Okay, this is this is canon now. <laughs> yeah. uh, For sure. So, did did you since you were basing this off of Zelda two? Do you guys did you guys end up? Do you like like Zelda two better than Zelda one? Are you taking that controversial stance? Oh, I I am like I'm deeply. I know Sean, uh, who does a lot of design, is a huge Zelda two. Like he plays Zelda two like every. Well, probably, probably still plays it every single day. Um, you know, like I'm obsessed with Zelda two. I, I like Zelda two a lot more than I like Zelda one. Uh, okay. Uh, that said, I like like Link to the Past is like my favorite game. So, <laughs> okay, it's because I, our our other host who isn't here right now is a vocal critic of Zelda 2, much to my chagrin. Uh, so I'm glad that not only uh, are you agreeing with me, he's not here to argue. Uh, I mean, I, like, I don't want like, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of stuff wrong with Zelda 2, and it's like, oh, no, for sure. I totally understand like the why it's not appealing to lots of people, and uh, it, it, like, it could be a hundred million times better, but, but that said, like, there's so much in that game that's, like, brilliantly designed and thought, you know, thought through. And like so right. fun to play that it's like I don't know yeah. it's really yeah no, I, and there's like a narrative that Zelda Two is the bad Zelda but if you look at it it sold a, a tremendous number like a lot of people liked that game. Well, so, yeah. I, I don't know if sales is, is always the best measure of people liking things. I I mean <laughs> it, it led to Zelda Three right which is your you just said is your yeah yeah favorite so yeah yeah um. So I guess thinking about Zelda and, and Nintendo, I guess the the Wii was the I guess the Wii U was like the lead platform for this game, right? Which which is unusual, or it was unusual at the time that this game was in development. I think the Wii U is sort of maybe coming into its own at last. Um, but what 
was was that decision mostly just because the NES was a Nintendo thing and you wanted to have this game on a Nintendo console, or did they give you a really really good deal, or sort of what what led you to Nintendo and what was that relationship like? Well, we, I, I don't think Nintendo ever does deals. So that, that I should start out there, um, but yeah, for us it was really. Um, we yeah, but, so the Nintendo part was a lot a big part of it. Uh, I mean, like it felt it felt uh, unnatural to make a game based on Nintendo games and not have it be on the Nintendo platform. Uh, it just felt like the right place to be. It's like you know, it's home. Um, and then past that, uh, like we were uh, making this at the start of 2013, right? And you know, the other consoles were announced at that point. Uh, like, you know, there was only speculation of what like, what they'd even be. Like, who knows if they'd even be game consoles, right? Because, like, all people used 364 was Netflix. Uh, <laughs> uh, Guilty. Yeah, so it's like, um, we basically didn't know what was going to be happening, and, but, and, and we, and at the same time, we, like, the 3DS and the Wii U were, like, we loved those systems. Like, the Wii U is, like, such a game system, and, like, it only does games, which is, like, really cool from our standpoint. Uh, and the 3DS is, like, the, we love the stereoscopic 3D, and, I mean, like, games, portable games are always the best. Uh, so, I mean, we were really into those systems, so it just, it's, like, what we wanted to play the game on. Cool. So your your relationship with, with Nintendo was good, though? They were... Oh, yeah, I mean, very supportive. We've I've, we've heard good things about about this sort of their indie relationship in the past. When um, who was it? Paul, um, the SteamWorld Dig guy, oh, right? Yeah, was on, and he was he was very highly uh, praising their uh, yeah yes their indie depart department. Yeah, I mean, they were super super supportive of us the entire time. Like they they loaned us kits. They you know they let us make the game to begin with. Yeah, I mean you got to keep in mind like we weren't a company, right? Like, right. Uh, was that was that with Dan Edelman uh, yeah. that you were working Dan with? Dan Edelman like set us all up. Um, you know, they brought us around to their conventions. They like had us on their live streams. They, you know, announced us on like Nintendo Live or uh, what do they call it? The direct. The, yeah, direct. Nintendo Directs. Yeah, the direct. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did like everything they could to support us, which is saying a lot because you know, for Nintendo. Like their main interest is supporting their first party games, right? Right. Uh, so for them to like out of their way to say like, "Hey, this is a game you should be playing," was like really, I think, impactful to the people like watching Nintendo news and really meaningful to us that like we we had their like with any with whatever we did, and even from you know to the standpoint that we were like asking like, "Hey, like one of like." Yeah. You know, do some dumb, you know, but you put, you know, shovel knight in the ha, 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 right? It's like things that you know they would, of course, say no to, but they'd be like, they treat us with respect, right? <laughs> and that's, like, super, right. super wonderful to know that, like, that you're being, like, taken seriously, right? Even when you are, like, asking yeah. absurd things that they'll never do. <laughs> right. Um... I guess I'm gonna, the next question shifts uh, a little bit, but for listeners who are who are interested in hearing more about, I guess, the general indie thing, uh, go listen to episode 27 when Dan Edelman, who used to be the indie guy, was actually on. So if this interests you, we have an episode about that, listeners. Um, so 
Shovel Knight is done now at this point. It's it's shipped. You I guess you said you have Sony SKUs eventually, but the game itself is completed. If you were going to make a Shovel Knight 2, or if you were to go back and make Shovel Knight again, what would you do differently? Like, what would what did you find didn't work? What would you like to change? Or is Shovel Knight just exactly the way you wanted it to be, and you wouldn't do anything different? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think I would, like, for me personally, I would probably want to try different things with it, like trying to get that the formula to, like, work in different ways. Um, like, I think there are some things that worked well, like, but maybe could have been a tiny bit better. Uh, like, I don't know, like, for example, like, buying relics from Chester, um, could be, like, a little confusing, like, for example, like, you can get Chester's, uh, if you don't find Chester in a level, you he'll sell you that weapon inside, in, in the village, right? Uh, and a lot of people don't know that, so they spend, like, they spend a lot of their time replaying the level, like, trying to find Chester in order to get that weapon. Uh, and it's like, oh, that's sort of unfortunate <laughs> that they then ended up doing that. So there's, like, little small quirks like that. Um, but in general, I think, like, I mean, it came out mostly, like, how we wanted it to, which is, I mean, and a lot of it works to the degree we wanted to, which was, like, really sad, like, really great, uh, which is not true of most of the games that we work on. Uh, yeah, so I guess, like, I don't know. I think, like, to me, a lot of what makes Shovel Knight f- enjoyable as an experience is just, like, the surprise of not knowing what's coming next. Uh, and things like, you know, like, Chester popping out of a chest for the first time is, like, bizarre and weird and fun, right? And I think just, like, recreate a lot of those elements is, like, would probably be a bummer. Or, like, at least it would be not as exciting as the first time. Um, so I guess it's, like, finding that right mix and doing new things while keeping the old things so you're not, like, disappointing anyone uh, would be, like, the fun of making a sequel. So... What's next for you guys? Have you decided yet, or are you still uh, still on Shovel Knight development for the Sony? Still, yeah, we're still doing the Sony stuff, and we're also doing, with our Kickstarter, we had a bunch of stretch goals, so um, mm-hmm. we are doing a battle mode, uh, a body swap mode, a, a challenge mode, and three playable boss nights. Uh, like, you can play three bosses through the campaign, which is right, King right. Knight, Spectre Knight, and Plague Knight. Uh, so we're working on those right now, and hopefully we'll do like finish all of that before this year is up. But who knows? <laughs> do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite night? Uh, my favorite night is King Knight. Okay, I was gonna say what a terrible night to have a curse. <laughs> is my favorite night. Oh, right. I like um, I like Treasure Night. Yeah, like Treasure Night. He's got a sweet aesthetic. Yeah, he's got the the underwater diving suit aesthetic. I like King Knight because he he feels like. King Knight feels like a good representation of the game to me, which is like a little bit silly, um, but like a sim- like a the simple but enjoyable battle that's like goofy and uh, and it's got like a quirky personality. So it feels like a lot of what like what Shovel Knight is. Does that make sense? So does King Knight have like a Queen Knight and maybe some Bishop Knights back home? <laughs> I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll find out in the King Knight's campaign. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> um, so something that we, we always ask all of our guests, yeah. uh, as is tradition, that we will now ask you, 
is a, is a question that has nothing to do with anything other than uh, the fact that we always ask it. And that question is, what is your favorite cheese? Uh, my favorite cheese? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, <laughs> I... Ooh. Man, that's like that's got to be one of the hardest questions I've ever been asked. Okay, so next time you go to a job interview and they ask you what the hardest question you've ever been asked I'll is say, this one, cheese? this okay. one. Uh, man, I don't know. I mean, like, I've I've been really into um, what's it called? A cheese with an R. Um, ricotta. ricotta. I've been really into ricotta recently. Just like putting ricotta on everything. It's I don't know if ricotta is really good on it by itself though. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't. I don't. I, it doesn't necessarily need to be the cheese that you would just eat by itself. It's just there, what there's also no is. wrong way to consume a cheese, really. <laughs> I I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. My my wife eats uh, cheese sticks. Like she doesn't, you know, peel the cheese stick. Like. She chomps it. Oh, she just takes a huge bite out of it? She it down, right. And it's just like, oh, what are you doing? What? You're, like, totally ruining it. Wow. Okay. I, I guess. <laughs> I guess that that's a thing. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's all the questions that I have here in this document. Paul, do you have any others that you, uh, you want to throw out? Uh, none that I can think of at the moment, so we'll leave that as a no. All right. Well, that was, I mean, that was about the length of our normal interview segment anyway, so that's pretty good. All right. We got a good number. All right. That's all. That's all I got. Uh, Then we can move into the game section proper. The game section. All right. Video games. Games. Video games. Let's talk about them. So, David, David, what have you, what have you been playing? What games would you like to talk about? Uh, so I've been playing a lot of Smash. Um, I've been playing... I, I finished Captain's Toad Adventure. Oh, really? Yeah, that was fun. And then I... I started Banner Saga, but didn't get too far into it. I think that's all I've played recently. What did you... What did you think of Captain Toad? Because I played a couple of the Captain Toad levels in Super Mario 3D World. Right. But I was curious about whether... I, I, I guess when it was announced, I saw the trailer, and I was like, this does not look like an interesting game. But then I played some of the levels, and I was like, maybe. So what is what are your impressions of that game? Um, you know, I have... Like, I, I definitely enjoyed it. Like, I played through all of it. Um, like, I got... I collected everything. So, I, like, I definitely enjoyed the game. Uh, I guess I, w- I wish it was, like, a little more challenging, maybe. Um, and a lot of the stuff felt, like, reused from... Uh, Super Mario 3D World. Uh, a lot of, like, the, you know, like, the cherry, uh, like, mechanic, like, things like that. Um, so it felt like it was rehashing a lot of territory, but, like, I really liked, you know, I, like, I loved the personality of the game. I loved, um, like, just, like, I don't know, it's, like, very cheery and enjoyable and, um, like I thought, I mean, it had a re- like really, really clever level design and stuff, and I thought they did a, a lot, like a lot more than I would expect with that, like no jump, only move the camera, like gameplay. Uh, so it was, re- I mean, it was really cool to see that. But that said, like I still, you know, I fe- I felt like I still wanted more 
like tougher challenges at the end. So, would do, how do you feel that Toad worked as a protagonist? Was he okay? Oh, I think Toad is great as a protagonist. <laughs> I, cool. I, I, Can, do you do you do a good Toad impersonation? Do I do a good one? I, <laughs> yeah. Could could you? What was that? Was that somebody's Toad impersonation? <laughs> that was someone's Toad impersonation. <laughs> it was pretty good. Because <laughs> I I I noticed that Toad and Marge Simpson have the same voice. So. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, well, maybe we should get Marge Simpson to, like, do, like, play Toad as, like, Marge and see what happens. Yeah, because what? He's just like, okay, right? <laughs> that just sounds like Marge Simpson to me. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's got that, like, yeah. I don't know, grainy. That gravelly, yeah. All right, and what was the other one that you said? You said you are playing Smash, right? I've been playing a lot of Smash, yeah, which I'm I'm definitely enjoying a lot, uh, like... It's it's funny because I played like um, the Julian hours of Smash Brothers. Like all I did in college was play Smash. Um, uh, so it's like I didn't expect like I wasn't like for the first time I wasn't like watching the news for Smash Brothers. I wasn't like really paying attention to it all. Like I I didn't think I would enjoy it. Um, and I don't know. I've been having a lot of fun. It feels like it's surprisingly more balanced. I think. I well, it's hard to tell because I guess. You never know till you're, like, a real expert at the game, but it feels more balanced to me, and it feels like there's a lot of, like, BS in the game that's been removed, which is really nice. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's a lot of fun to play with, like, whoever. Uh, and, like, the whole... Do you have one character that you really like? You know, I haven't really, like, gotten into one character. I've been playing, like, a lot of, like, Toon Link and Samus and... Um, who else? Oh, like Olimar, I played a lot. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm all, I'm all over the place. I really haven't, like, nailed down who, who I'm good with yet. So, I guess, between Captain Toad and, and Smash, are you buying into the Amiibo craze, then? Uh, I am, I'm not into the Amiibo craze. I do love them, though. I think, like, that... Like, it is really awesome to see, like, a cool... A good Nintendo toy. And it's not, like... It's, like, not just a good Nintendo toy. It's, like, a really good toy in general, right? It's, like... Yeah, uh, I know that the Toad one is supposed to add, like, more difficulty to Captain Toad, so that might be what you're looking for. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I think... I, I don't know exactly because I didn't pay attention because I don't own that game. But I think they said that it's gonna, that it, like, goes back into all the levels and adds an extra challenge to all of them or something. Oh, I don't know. That's crazy. I'd investigate it. Don't, don't take my word for it. But... Uh, I mean, I love... Like, I love the idea of Amiibos. Like, I, like, I'm looking forward to, like, all the implementation stuff they do with it. And, like, I would give anything. I would give my life to have a Shovel Knight Amiibo. <laughs> it, you know what? Keep making games for Nintendo. They might do it. Yeah, maybe. You never know. Yeah. I'll, I'll buy one. If you get a sh- Shovel Knight in the next Smash Bros. Oh, my God. That, that would just be, like, I would cry from joy. Well, what Commander Commander videos in the new one, right? I know he's a, he's got his own trophy, right. so like it can happen. Yeah, I guess I gotta figure out what what magic they pulled to make that happen. Who is yeah. who is? Well, have have your people talk with their people. Yeah, right. All right. Um, I guess those are the those are the only two that you said we were playing really right. So Smash and, and Commander Toad. Yeah, I mean, I started I started Banner Saga. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything about Banner Saga. Uh, yeah, it's just it's like a strategy RPG, like sort. Was it like a sort like a Fire Emblem? Yeah, sort of mixed with like Oregon Trail. <laughs> um, 
Oh, so you can kid your army die of dysentery? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, maybe I'm not. I'm not that far in it, but uh, yeah. I, I mean, I played like maybe an hour of it, so I can't. I can't okay. like speak to the you know the mechanics that much, but it seems like it'll be cool. Well, so if there was, if there's one game that you would recommend that our listeners look into, it doesn't need to be one of those three, but just like that you have played recently-ish that you think maybe people might not know about or should give a second look. Do you have any any ideas for that? Oh, boy. That's a tough question. Do we care about what platform it's in? Uh, I, I don't. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, I, I don't own every platform, but I'd still be interested in hearing about it. Um, I'm going to go with... Let's see, what's a game that didn't do as well? Well, how about Volgar the Viking? That's not so recent, but um, that is, like, a game that should have done a lot better than it did, because uh, it's freaking amazing. <laughs> uh, that was on, I think it's on Steam, right? Yeah, it's on Steam, and they just came out on Xbox One a few months ago, I think. Uh, and it's just like, it's a hard as nails, uh, 2D platformer, like sort of like Rastani, but, uh, but like way better than that game ever was. And just, I mean, it's really fun, really challenging, uh, like extremely challenging. I would say if if you're not up for like a, a really hardy challenge, you should not go anywhere near that game. Uh, but for me, like to have a 2D platformer that's like, like, just so meticulously designed like that game is, was, like, really cool to see. So is it, is it like, La Mulana difficult, or is it... Um... You know, I think La, La Mulana is, like, more difficult because, like, you don't know what the heck's going on, right? Uh, okay. I think... I mean, Volgars are, like, I think just, like, classic old-school game difficult, where it's, like, you have... You can only get hit twice, you know, It's and you're going to get hit. <laughs> and it's like, you just... Okay, so it's like a spelunky. Yeah, I guess it's, like, more along those lines. It's like, you just have to you just have to execute on everything perfectly. Checkpoint. Right. Like a spelunky, yeah. <laughs> okay. It's really far, you know, and few. Uh, and, like, I don't know, you just, yeah, you have to know what the heck you're doing. I mean, it doesn't feel like spelunky, so it's weird to compare it to that, but maybe maybe that is, like, an apt comparison. All right, Paul. What have you What have you been playing? Any video games? Yeah, I, I was on a huge Blizzard thing because uh, uh, all the, the patches of the storm alpha was ending, and I needed to hit forty before uh, that happened, so that I could get my sweet alpha portrait, um, which, which still I don't is, have still. Yeah, no one's got them. Yeah, I've got, I've got both of my sweet beta portraits, but not the alpha ones. Interestingly. Yep. Uh, and I'll be upset because I put in a lot of work um, that I was not necessarily enjoying that much. Because I, I honestly, you know that I'm you know that they've got you when you're playing, even though you're not having fun. So I mean, I'm playing on the hopes that it will be fun later. And if it is going to be fun later, I want to have this re- a reward to show my dedication for this game was not that good yet, but I still put in the effort. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't know with with like the latest things. That I've done, and uh, the fact that like people are buying into the beta now, I'm starting to lose hope. 
because I, I saw a lot of forum posts. Boy, did I play a game with people who had bought it to the beta today, and they just ran around not knowing what they were doing. I mean, I, I, I was reading um, a bunch of forum posts and Reddit threads about um, people who are buying coming into the beta for the first time and experiencing it, and I, I saw a common trend, which was just, wow, you know what I really hated about Dota and League of Legends? The community? The fact that I was not very good at the game's mechanics, and that really ruined my enjoyment. And I'm like, but I love the mechanic. That's, like, the part of the game that I enjoyed the most, being able to outskill your opponents and, like... Just when you when you get to poop on your opponents, that's what I want to do, and it's like this is the overwhelming uh, community uh, sentiment is that like they re- people really enjoy the fact that you don't have to be good at this game, and I'm starting to see that like this is probably not the game for me. Well, I did play the new map, and the new map, the new map is, is good, so though. good. I, I, you, I have you played it yet? I did. I played it one time. It's got a sweet aesthetic. I like how um, big it is. Yeah, it's huge. It's actually one of the few maps where Illidan's Hunt is just, like, a completely viable choice. And I like how there are always, like, two or three important things that need your attention, and you can't address them all, so you really have to... Right, exactly. It's, like, it's it's definitely... Like, yeah, I I definitely hate the fact that, like, at some point in, like, almost every one of these games, you're forced to just become a giant five-man ball of push... Right. To win. Right. And this, and this like, this very much discourages that. Yep. Yeah. The, you can never be in all of the places you need to be at once. And so you have to make really important, interesting, strategical decisions. And I, I hope that future maps are also like this, because this is really, really good. Right, yeah. Because, like, because like I think Haunted Minds tries to do that a bunch, but it ultimately fails, because no. in the end, you still have to fight the uh, giant uh, golem right. in the center. Yeah. And it's just like, well, that's just... If Haunted Minds were... Three were as big as this map, and the mines were also that big to slow down and make doing stuff cho- uh, more of a choice instead of just taking both because the bottom is so small. Yeah, exactly. I think it might, but they actually made bottoms smaller, so maybe that's not what they're looking for on that. I mean, whatever. I mean, I don't need every map to play the same. I just now, want did you see the to, uh, did you see the the video of the hook that pulls out of the mines? Yeah, that was impressive. Like, there's some uh, interesting interactions. I mean, this happened all the time with uh, Illidan's Hunt because, like, when you're uh, attached to a projectile mm-hmm. and that projectile gets sort of disjointed or you, you get just disjointed go... from the projectile, the game just does not know how to handle it. Yeah. All right, well, did you play anything that wasn't Heroes of the Storm? Yeah, I played, um, I've got on my notes here, the Blizzard Loot Simulator and Skinner Box 3. How is that? Uh, it's good. I'm. I'm. I mean, I think I'm gonna wait till uh, the season next season starts and actually play in the season because uh, the barbarians got a sweet set uh, that you can only get in the season. Oh, cool. Um, sweet. Which... I will also be playing this season. So. Right. All right. So we'll just have to do yeah. a bunch of that. And uh, if yeah. you have and listeners, if you want to join us in playing in the season, we will play some Diablo three with you probably. Yeah. Assuming that the servers are have like you know decent connection because like it's been a huge problem this week where. Uh, they they just like have have like massive downtime. Yep. So or, or just like unplayable lag. Yeah. So if you want to play Diablo, tweet at us and and we'll figure something out. Or if your name is the frame thing. Yeah, you've already uh, done that. You have our number, so. Yeah, you've you've already yeah you just just call us. Um, yeah. Uh, you can also join um, Justin's clan. Yeah, we have a clan. It is uh, 
What's the, 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 the Rhymers of, of Rhymers of Brohan. Yep, it is the uh, clan that a lot of folks from the Kingdom of Loathing video game are in. Um, so there there is already a community there. Full of incredibly wanna polite more, people. If you want a more close-knit, and by close-knit, I mean an almost non-existent clan of, uh, of just people you. Who, who like making jokes about Diablo 3's uh, lore and dialogue, you can join uh, mine, which is called... Uh, it, it's a tan, tan, clan tag is Betray. I think it's called like Betrayal Can Never Be Forgiven. I thought you were in Stuff Reddit Says. Uh, I, I, I left that one because that one just died. Oh. Everyone left. So when you say tight, you mean it's literally just you? No, no, no. Uh, a good friend of the podcast, Mark and uh, Greg, are in there. So. Okay, so it's three. Yes. Okay. Tight knit group. Yes. Okay. I heard that you also were playing a watermelon simulator. Oh yeah, watermelon slicing simulator is super sweet. Um, th- that's a uh, Metal Gear Revengeance. You get to play. Uh, Jack the Ripper, a.k.a. Raiden, in his sweet new cyborg body. And uh, for some reason, everyone in this universe just also carries a katana with them. So if, like, enemy gets too close to shoot, what do you do? Stop shooting and pull out your katana, right? Um, but yeah, the, ga- the game has, like, basically, it's got some stealth mechanic that's, like, barely ever used because it's there's not enough areas where you can actually hide, and it takes way too long to uh, be stealthy. Uh, so instead, you just get to uh, slice things up like a watermelon, and there's just a mechanic in which you have to parry attacks in order to not not die. And this is kind of just like the main mechanic of the game. So is it like quick time events? It's not a quick time event exactly. It's just it's just a it's sort of a quick time event, but it's just like constant, I guess. And it basically, it's just a quick time event to prevent you from taking damage from getting hit by enemies. Okay. And it's, it's important. And you can get through the tutorial area without doing a single parry, which means you you can, like, get up to the first boss or so without understanding how to play the game, and then just get completely wrecked by the first boss because if you don't parry, you lose 25% of your life guaranteed. Sounds like a good way to teach you how to parry, then. Yeah, so, I mean... Did this happen to you? Yes, I mean, well, not exactly. I, I I could not even get to the first boss because of my lack of ability to parry. I got to um, a r- relatively reasonable um, encounter with a bunch of enemies. It's just, I just kept getting hit because I couldn't figure out how to parry at all. I just had to stop playing, go onto YouTube, go like, alright, how do you parry in Metal Gear Vengeance? Watch a video... And then I was like, okay, I can finally play this game now. Does this game have hour-long cutscenes? It is a Metal Gear game. Not an hour, but it does have a lot of cutscenes, and they're frequent. But there's none of the weird conspiracy stuff that really drags down the plot, or not necessarily drags down, but convolutes the plot of Metal Gear Solid, and instead just has these really campy, over-the-top cutscenes of villains being ridiculously villainous, and uh, Raiden being ridiculously angsty. Is Snake in this game? No, no Snake. Uh. There, there's a German doctor whose name is Doktor. Okay. And he has a thing for left hands. Okay. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> he, he has a shelf full of left hands. Are there any Metal Gears in this game? Yes, there are. Okay. 
You get to slice them up with your katana. Because uh, Metal Gear. You get, what don't you get to slice up with your katana? Um, basically everything. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, I think that's all I've played. Alright. Um, so I got a copy of Fire Emblem Awakening, because I have never actually gotten gone through a Fire Emblem game before, and apparently this is the one to get if you're new to the franchise. Um, I own one of them because I was a 3DS ambassador, but I tried it and it was like, wow, this this story is boring, just right out of the gate. I have no interest in anything that's going on here, and so I turned it off and didn't play it. Um, it's easier in Fire Emblem Awakening to stay interested because uh, thanks to Super Smash Brothers, I know the entire cast already. Oh, right, you, now you have a vested interest in knowing who they are. Right, so, like, I know who Robin is, I know who Lucina is, I know who Krom is, and, like, these are the characters that are running... Do you know who Marth is? No, who is Marth? Apparently it's Lucina. Lucina runs, says, hey, I'm Marth. She hasn't, I haven't gotten to the point where she reveals that she is not Marth. Uh, she has revealed that she is a woman, and everybody was shocked. And I was like, did you not listen to her voice? Because that is not a dude, but, uh... I mean... That, that that's awful, awfully presumptuous of you. Like maybe the dude just has a really high pitched voice. Okay, maybe maybe the dude also has a woman's figure. Also a woman's figure. Uh, okay. Um. Don't don't you try this. And then Lu- and then she was like, "I'm really surprised you guys didn't notice by now." <laughs> so. Don't you? People are just really polite. They don't want to stifle other people's gender expressions and like. She never no. said that she was a dude. She just said, my name is Marth, and everybody presumed she was a dude. Well. Anyway, this game is tough. Um, I'm playing it on hard mode. So the, the, three, the three difficulty choices were normal, hard, and lunatic. Uh, and I decided not to play on lunatic because I know that uh, I would just lose instantly because I tried lunatic when I downloaded the demo before I bought it and was slain on the first turn without being able to take an action. and got a game over and was kicked back to the title screen and had to watch a bunch of cutscenes again. So I decided, no, that's a bad idea. So I went on hard because I had read that hard is actually normal for Fire Emblem franchise. Right. And that normal is actually easy mode. And then it says, do you want to play on casual mode or classic mode? And casual mode uh, has no permadeath of units, which is sort of like the Fire Emblem series trademark. I mean, it's a Final Fantasy Tactics thing originally, but yeah. Well, no, but in Tactics, like, if a guy goes down, you have a couple turns to get them back up. Right. But in Fire Emblem, if they die, they're just gone. Right. Which means that you can't make any mistakes in this game. Um, So I decided to play on Classic Mode because I wanted to get the Fire Emblem experience and just have been getting destroyed regularly. I finally reached a point where I think I've got the game's mechanics down. It, it, It doesn't do a very good job of teaching you what the rules of this game are. So I spent a lot of time restarting missions because I would make a move and then three guys would run past all my like my defensive line and murder a mage and I'd have to restart. Um, yeah. Now that I've sort of understanding understand the mechanics of how you can pair units up and have units defend one another and provide cover and stuff, it's a lot easier, but it was a really rough entry. Um and I have a friend of mine who was just saying, no, this is, like, the easiest Fire Emblem ever. I played it on the hardest difficulty and just b- tore it apart. So I guess, like, if you're good at Fire Emblem, 
or if you understand right, how the I, franchise I works. He's played more Fire Emblem. Then I, yeah, then apparently this is just like a joke Fire Emblem. Although apparently people think it's really good. It's the best-selling Fire Emblem that has ever come out. Presumably because the the addition of easy mode means that people can finish it and then tell their friends about it. Um, it was also supposed to be the last Fire Emblem. Uh, apparently Nintendo told the Fire Emblem team, if this game doesn't sell like hotcakes, this is just the last one. Like we're done with this franchise, and then it did, so right. they're making another. Okay, well, yeah, fin- the Final Fantasy solution. Yeah, like this. I guess. Like, like make it. They, so, they, so they basically just put every mechanic from every other file emblem into it to try and make it the best possible product, and then made it accessible. And turns out, accessibility is a huge selling point. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, people really like this genre of uh, game in general. Yeah. And there aren't enough of them. And yeah. aren't enough that are accessible. I played the Advance Wars, or one of the Advance Wars games, and it was also pretty tough, but it was not... Yeah. I mean, The Advance was, Wars uh, story missions can be really unforgiving. Yeah, and also the computer cheats in this game. Oh, absolutely. And in that game. In this game, if the computer has a 1% chance to hit, it's just or to crit, it'll just crit every time. 1% is basically 100%. If it's not 0%, it might as well be 100%. Yeah, I mean, but actually that's what's going on here. Anyway, um, I'm still early in the game, I'm trying to build up my character. So you, when you pair characters up together on the battlefield, they every action that they take at the same time builds up their relationship, and you can get your characters to get married and have children, and then those children become units. So I've been, like, trying to figure out... A pair, if you're, like, a crazy min-maxer, you'll just pair up the people who produce the best offspring because you can pass the parents... Uh, talented right, yeah. is to the offspring, but I'm just going for the story. Like, there's a girl who really, really has a huge crush on Krom, so I'm just putting her with Krom because I think that that would. Oh man, you should you should have put her worst enemy. They don't really have enemies. They're just like her least favorite person. Um, I I've paired up Robin with Krom's sister because apparently if you play a female Robin, you can marry her to Krom and then you can be Lucina's mother. And I was. I'm kind of regretting not doing that, not playing a female that avatar. That sounds awesome. Yeah, but I, I chose the male avatar because I'm a dude, so... Well, that's your first mistake. Never choose the male avatar. I choose the female avatar maybe 40% of the time in games. It really depends I, on what like, they look like. For me, it's also 40% of the time, but that's mainly because most games that I, I play don't have the uh, female option. I played a girl in both of the Pokemon Ranger games that I played because the... the uh, the only difference between the male and the female was the way that they looked and the animation for their victory pose, and the okay. had a really dorky victory pose, and I was like, I don't, I don't want to look like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's understandable. I was like, I'm basing this entirely on this one animation that I'm going to have to watch like 40 times throughout the course of this game. It's a good reason. Yeah. Um, I've also been playing the Mother games. Uh, Earthbound and Mother 3, um, because those games are really good. I didn't realize... So I played Earthbound probably when I was in middle school the first time. And I I beat it. i probably beaten it, like, two or three times, because when you just have a game and you're in middle school, you just play that game a lot. Right, yeah. And so I, I played that, and I played Super Mario RPG a lot. Um, Solid choices, yeah. Yeah, they were Super Nintendo RP- was is the system for JRPGs. But there's a lot of stuff in Earthbound that I just didn't notice or get when I was playing through it in middle school. And that ranges from jokes. 
or references to like the fact that the first boss's battle music is Johnny B. Good, which oh, okay. which is hilarious. And like I guess this like this game is notorious for its copyright infringement problems. And now that I know about these, it's really really funny to see all of those. Um, in the first town, a dude asked me about the Beatles, which was fun. He asked me a tr- some some Beatles trivia. Um, in Mother 3, there, uh, the first thing you do is you get out of bed, you're playing as Lucas, and your mom's like, hey, Claus, your brother, is already out playing with the, the Dragors. Why don't you go play with him? And you go out to the door, and she says, hey, hey, you, you can't go out without your while you're in your pajamas. Why don't you go upstairs and get dressed? And you can hit yes or no. And if you hit no, she just says, then you can stay in here and live in your pajamas for the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I, okay, mom, I guess I'll go get changed then. Uh, but I was like, wow, that's really ominous. Um, and there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of weird interactions like that uh, in in Earthbound that I just didn't talk to the NPCs when I was playing through before because why? Like they don't they don't advance the story. They're just random dudes around town for flavor. And uh, they've all got really, really weird stuff to say, and it's re- and it's pretty funny. I'm glad uh, I'm glad that I'm doing it now. Um, it's somewhere a translator is very happy that you're taking the time to. I know, right? I like this is none of this is like new or insightful. Mother's franchise fan base is insane and rabid, as is shown by the fact that they produced an entire game when Mother Three didn't come to America. But I. It, it's new for me, right? Right, yeah. It's a new experience in an old game that I really love. I would really like for all of us... It's not going to happen because I don't think that we have the commitment, but I would really like for all of us to play through Earthbound and talk about it at some point because there's a lot of interesting stuff in there and it's got a really interesting story. Not, like... The story in the game is interesting, but, like, the story of how the Mother franchise got made. If you can find a way for me to play it on my phone... You totally... I mean, you'd have to jailbreak your phone, but you can. Actually, wait. Uh, maybe I could do it on my tablet. You definitely can. It's an Android tablet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Earthbound is like not a well-made game from a lot of like it's not a well-made. But yeah, I, I remember um, from, people who were talking about uh, I don't know, either speed running. Oh no, no, it was the uh, translation for uh, Earth uh, Mother Two and Three. Where uh, they're talking about the scripting language that makes up the game and how it's incomprehensible. So and the terrible. dude behind Earthbound was not a game programmer; he was a writer, right? And so he just didn't understand what game development was. And by the second one, like, Mother One is a disaster. Like it's an interesting game and it's got cool stuff in it and the writing is good, but just from a mechanic standpoint, it's gross because it is the 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 JRPGist of JRPGs. You spend forever just grinding. Right, yeah. The encounter rate is obscene, and like there is a patch out there that is called Mother Mother One e, or Earthbound Zero or whatever Easy Mode. This just doubles the money and experience gains from every enemy, so you don't have to grind. Um, but the fact that that needs to exist is gross. And this was su- this was fine when the NES was the hot new console, and you know you were playing Dragon Quest or whatever, and people hadn't figured this out, but and I think it like by Mother Three, it's most of the problems have been ironed out. But even in Earthbound, like I died just fighting normal enemies a lot. 
And like it didn't you don't when you get when you die you just get sent back to your house. Like you don't lose any progress. You keep all the levels and stuff that you've gained. And it's not hard. The game is not difficult, but the numbers are just really wonky. And there are a couple dungeons that drag. The the cool thing that it does, which Do the dungeons drag on? Yeah, there there's a dragon in uh, Mother Three. Anyway, the, the like I don't know. Have you ever played Earthbound for any amount of time at all? I I played um, enough of it in high school where I was I played uh, up to the first boss I believed. I got really sick of uh, the how it was playing. It might I might have been playing on a bum version of it that had all the uh, extra difficulty put into it. Okay. But I was just not enjoying it because the encounter rate was kind of dumb, and I okay. wasn't so, uh, super So something into. that I like about the original... So this game came out before Chrono Trigger, and Chrono Trigger did some of this as well, which was smart, is that there are no random encounters. All the enemies just appear on the world right, yeah. field. But unlike in Chrono Trigger, um, if you're above a certain level, if, you're, if your level is a certain level above the enemy's strength, they will just run away from you. And if you get into an encounter with an enemy that is trivial for you, you will just automatically win without having to do the battle. And you'll still get the loot and the experience and everything. But you can just, like, run around tapping enemies and they'll die. And, like, that makes sense. Like, uh, I'm level 100. Why do I still need to fight this slime or whatever? Right, yeah. And more games should do that. Um, It also has... I don't know if you remember or not, there's... The, the way that the HP is in the battles is that it's like a gas nozzle or like an odometer where it rolls up and down. Right. And what's cool is that, say you get, say you have like 40 hit points and you get hit for 50, it just starts ticking down. It has to roll all the way down to zero before your guy goes down. So you can cast a heal before you die and save yourself. And you, uh, you actually have a stat that affects how quickly those numbers spin. Which is uh, which is cool, and I think is is fun and should be in another game. Anyway, neat mechanic, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm playing through Mother Three, uh, the English patch, because I never I never played through it, and I really loved Earthbound, and uh, I'm playing through Earthbound at the same time. I think what I'm doing, I'm playing a little bit of Earthbound when I'm at home, and then during my commute, I've got uh, Mother Three that I'm gonna try and go through. Anyway, um, I played Super Mario 3D World. At least uh, the first three worlds of it. It's fun. It's a Mario game. Yeah, it's fun. It's got. Uh, I got like. It's not doing anything new or exciting. Yeah, but it's fun. It, it actually makes me want to play a, uh, a a collect 120 stars Mario game. You know. Yeah, I in World Three, and I've got like 70 or 80 stars. And I'm like, geez, how many stars does this game have? Because I'm just getting all of them as I go. They're not hard to get. Anyway. Um, I feel like this game would be super goofy in multiplayer, but we'll see. It is. It's great, actually. Um, but I'm it's not... It's the type of games that make you uh, angry at your friends. Great. Sounds great. The main game that I've been playing this this past week is Dragon Age. Um, I, I think my save file puts me at about 50-something hours. The game's played total tells me I'm at 70-something. So I guess part of that is multiplayer, and part of that is just leaving the game on. Right, yeah. Um, it's definitely final. It's it's definitely gotten better. Like I'm enjoying it a lot more than I was before. I still have two or three zones in this game that I just haven't gone to, which is 
sort of mind-blowing to me, given how much time I've put into it and how much stuff that I've already done. And the fact that there are just two or three zones that are equally as large of it as any of the zones I've already been to, full of another, like, 20 hours each of quests to do. I can, I can definitely see where the extra year that they delayed the game for went. Right. Because this game was supposed to come out in 2013. And they were just like, it's getting delayed by a full year. And I remember writing at the time, this is probably a good thing. I would rather wait another year and get a really, really solid product that's just really, like, really sure of itself than something that feels rushed. And, like, boy, is that extra year showing at hour 50, whatever it is. That's solid, yeah. I keep... So... I keep going back to the, like, I, I'll be out questing and then I'll get a notification saying that the like, the war table where I've sent my dudes out on missions is finished a mission, please come back to base to sort of turn it in. And thankfully, unlike Mass Effect, where going back to the, what what's the ship? Um, uh, Normandy? Yeah, going back to the Normandy is like a huge hassle. Uh, oh, yeah. This game's fast travel system is great. You just open up the map, click on a place, and you're and you're there. And it, like the maps are so big that they were just like, yeah, we should put just checkpoints all over these maps that you can just travel around to. Sort of like Fallout. Uh, right. Yeah. And it's great. So you can like you can just pop back to base for ten minutes, whatever. Get right back to where you were out in the field. Um, I really I, like. I still wish that I could access my missions from the field because you could always make it uh, faster. But it's not. It doesn't feel bad. Um, and every time I think that I've cleared out the entire list of operations for my cronies to do, it's like a, a hundred more spring up. Like, actually a hundred more. And I'm on the, I, I basically play this game, one monitor is the game, and the other monitor is the Dragon Age wiki with the, just the article on the war table pulled up, because that way I can just look up, okay, what's the mission? Who am I allowed to send on this? Who who should I send on this to not ruin everything in this story forever? Because you know, like it'll give you. Don't you feel that that kind of like ruins the natural experience of playing the game, though? No, because I feel like these war table operations are super trivial, and like some of them are their own self-contained stories. But it's just you telling dudes to go do something, and then you read a text box about what happened. Mm, There are, there are, like, any of them that have serious bearing on the story, you go yourself. Like, you go to the war table, it'll have a different, it's basically like one of those maps that you see in movies where people move the little dudes around to show where units are in a war. And there are just basically pins all over the map to show where the different operations are. And if it's an operation that's important to the story, it's a huge pin and it's got an icon over it, and it's like, you need to do something here, you'll need to spend some resources to unlock this new zone or whatever. And you can't mess those up. Like, because they're important. But, I would rather... This game is so long that I don't want to have to play through it again to get, like, a good playthrough. And so I'm just like, yeah, whatever. I Like, these... You can't spoil these, they're so trivial. So I'm just I'm just looking them up. And I read the results for... I read all the potential results and then pick the one I like the most. Or I will pick one and then read what would happen and then choose the one that is the optimal one. 
So yeah, I guess I guess I'm ruining a very trivial aspect of this game, but it's mostly just bringing in like resources and experience. Um, your character has uh, two different leveling systems, which is weird. Like you gain experience by killing stuff and doing quests, and then you, right. in t- and like that's every character in your party level gains experience separately. It's n- they don't all level up together. Um. Or at least they all level up together or very close to it, and then your guy is always a little ahead of them, so you'll hit level 10 slightly before they do or whatever. And then your entire, like, the Inquisition as a unit has experience that it gains from doing quests, and those levels count towards unlocking missions and getting perks for your party. And the experience from killing enemies and the experience from doing stuff for the Inquisition sometimes gives you both and sometimes doesn't. It's really weird. I don't know. I, I'm liking this game a lot. I feel like... I'm not sure whether it's doing anything new. It's definitely... I, I, okay, this game is doing something really new, and I'm really happy about it, and that is uh, positive portrayals of transgendered people in video games. Right, yeah. We had a discussion about that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that this is the first major video game, like, AAA release to feature a character that is transgendered. Maybe I'm wrong. It's definitely the biggest... Yeah, it's probably one, it's of one that has given uh, a transgender character the most screen time. I don't... Like, I, I cannot think of any other, like, AAA games that feature a transgender character in any context. Like, the only other one that I can think of in video games is... Bridget from Guilty here, and Bridget like isn't even transgender, right? Bridget is a crossdresser. Yeah, Bridget's uh, Bridget, and then there's also Poison, I guess. Oh yeah, Poison, right? But Poison is but, not but, but the, Poison was changed, t- right? Poison was and, was, and like, uh, Birdo, technically. Yeah, Birdo was also changed. Like, but yeah, yeah, but like none of them, none of them have really been designed on the outset as transgender, right. and they're like they don't have characters. Right. Exactly. They're, they're, like and and those characters that maybe were transgendered in Japan are were just whitewashed when they came to America. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it was really a factor of like uh, conflicting backstories between the English and Japanese uh, translations that caused yeah. these things in the first place. Nintendo just can't make up its mind on Birdo. They flip flop all the time. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I'm really curious about where Nintendo will fall on Birdo in 20 years. Because I feel like the social tide is chain- is just inevitably going to s- flow towards acceptance as it always does over time. Like if you look at this, the lo- the broad sweep of history, it's like people are way more tolerant o- the closer you get to the present. That's just how things go, and it takes a long time, but it does happen. So I'm really curious where where Birdo's going to end up. Anyway. There's a super positive portrayal of a transgendered uh, man in this uh, in this game, and uh, I I made sure that he didn't die. Nice. And yeah, well, Dragon Age is really good. Uh, yes, good good world world building, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um. Really, it's about ethics in video games. Uh, Journalism, apparently, according to the internet, there's a lot of hate about this transgender character because, of course, that yeah, yeah, the uh, them the dirty SJWs ruining our games and 
Yeah, how, how dare they put their opinions in their game that is supposed to be fun? But like, I'm, right. You can ignore all of this, and if you really hate it, you can have this person killed. It's true. You can actually just have this person killed if you're that type of person. Like, they, they gave you that option. I don't know. Um, there was also a character who is uh, gay, and his father tried to use magic to change his sexuality, and they have to deal with that. Oh, that's, that's actually interesting. Yep, there's sort of a moral moral quandary, because um, they had to use blood magic, and blood magic is, uh, because it's blood magic, it's bad. Like, just how, how fantasy trope is. Right, yeah. Um, and uh, you you try to figure out how to have him reconcile with his father, or not, or maybe you do. I don't know. I did that question, I tried to make him reconcile, and he was just like... His father was like, I'm so sorry for everything that I did with you, and you, I, like, I want to go back to the way things were. And the dude was just like, I don't think that that's going to happen. So I don't know if there was a good way to handle that. Probably not. There probably wouldn't have been a good way to handle that in real life. Mm. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm, uh, I'm glad that not only is a studio willing to take on stuff, but that it's friggin' EA. Like, right? Bioware is an EA company. I'm glad that's, that EA... That's fair, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that EA is well... Especially because EA does get a lot of bad press. Yeah. For a variety of reasons. But, like, honestly, despite all the issues with EA, they have actually been producing a lot of good quality stuff recently. Yeah. Relatively. Yep. Or at least Bioware does. And I know people are like, I'm done with Bioware. After, the, after Mass Effect 3, this game... So done. I'm like, man, man, like... Not every game is for you. If you can't appreciate right. the 200 hours of gameplay that is here because of some character that you don't like, that you can totally ignore, or some quest that you don't have to do, you've got bigger problems. Video games. Video games, man. Uh, another game that I played. There's a uh, there's a fun, a fun thing on the internet uh, on Medievalists.net, which is a website for medievalists. Where um somebody somebody there translated the riddles from the Icelandic story Hrærvar saga uh, because in in this story there's this guy named Gistum Blindi and there's a king named King Heidrek and uh, Gistum Blindi makes a sacrifice to Odin uh, because he he's asking Odin for help because the king is going to put him to death and Odin shows up and t- decides to take his place to meet with the king and challenges the king to a contest of riddles. And so this guy has translated all of the riddles and set it up as a game that you can play to see if you are smart enough to answer all of Odin's riddles. Um, so if you like riddles, if you like 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 the Hobbit-style riddles in the Dark Riddles, um, I will put a link out to it in the show notes. Uh, I did not get them all right. I guess I would lose against Odin. But I got a, a reasonable number of them right. So, um, that's good. That's all I've been playing. Um, Gord, what have you been playing? That's very interesting. Are we still, are we still, um, splicing in random things? He didn't record anything for us this week. He did write that he's been playing the Swapper, but I don't know anything about the Swapper. So I'm just going to read what he wrote. 
The Swapper, another puzzle platformer. Cloned self. Switch to clone anywhere in line of sight. Buttons and portals in gravity and try to figure out what's going wrong. Or what's going on. Very much the same vein as The Fall. Um. Yep, that's what he's written. So thank you, I, I, can, I can also look up some things that he's written. <laughs> yep. All right. Let's, uh, uh, argument from different in the story. Humanity is pretty sweet. One who hasn't been playing. Yep. Hey guys, uh, David was not able to join us for the haps section, but we recorded it anyway without him. So we're going to cut it in right here. Clever. All right. So, so Paul, what are what are the haps? What have you been uh, doing? That's interesting. Re- I need to reopen my dock because. Okay. Okay, then I'll go first while you're opening that. Yeah. Um, uh, so I I watched the first episode of the new season of Do Ra Ra Ra, which you said you didn't care about because anime is dumb. I yeah, recall. anime is for nerds. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what my stance is normally. Yeah, but here you are watching anime, and I. It's because Do Ra Ra is good. It was the it was an anime that I liked that's new. Right. Um, I also read. The book, or at least one of them, I think, wow, at some point. That's actually way more than I care about. Like, I like Durara, but not enough to actually, like, try to... Yeah, I read, I read like, ha- I think I read half of the first book, and the translation was not compelling enough for me to continue, but it was interesting. It was also really hard to follow, which I think probably was just the translation. Like, it was hard to tell which character was talking ah, yeah. at any given time. Well, I don't know, that's usually within the uh, art and... Bubble placement and no 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 the, the like I mean like the actual book not the comic like the light novel that it was based oh, on oh okay ah uh, I see like I tried to actually read the book because I was like oh this is based on an actual book maybe I should read that but I just couldn't I couldn't do it maybe the, if I, there's an official translation someday I'll try again anyway it's good it's it it is just more durara the first episode focused really heavily on Selty who is my favorite character um so it was good. She got chased up a building. She just drove straight up the side of a building. Does um the relationship between the awkward teenage boy and that girl that he likes and that she the one like who has no emotions like him, but neither of them want to talk to each other does that improve at all or you mean the one that has a sword inside of her? Yeah, that one. Okay, yeah, they were like barely in this episode. It was almost entirely about Selty getting chased by police. And be at a huge goofball. And, um, apparently she and the scientist she's living with are planning to get married. I don't know. I don't know. Like, that's going to be a really weird marriage ceremony, because you're going to have to get some legal witness that is going to see that she has no head. I mean, there's plenty of people that... Yeah, there are just, at this point, everybody knows that she's a a headless horseman. (laughs) Everybody except for the government, I guess. I mean... But do they? What, what okay, the like, doing? like like twenty five people now. Yeah, fair. This is, maybe um, one of them happens to be an ordained priest. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think the separate, second episode is out, but I haven't watched it yet. The first episode was sort of goofy and introductory, and then Isaiah was like, "Man, I haven't done anything devious in a really long time. I should get on that." So yeah, that's I think it's like six six months after the first one. Anyway. Durara's good. I would suggest that if you like it, it's just more of it. 
Um, I also watched the the first season and the half ish of the newsroom. Do you know the newsroom or not? I'm I'm familiar with. It. I've seen clips of it, which make it seem compelling. You saw, yeah, you saw the clip that was like, "Why is America the greatest country?" Like everybody on the internet saw. Uh, I saw that one. I also saw the one about uh global warming. Okay. Um, I don't remember if I've gotten to that episode yet, but maybe. They talk about a lot of stuff. Right. Uh, anyway, it's good. I mean, ugh, okay, so it is an Aaron Sorkin piece, which means that it's just, like, super left-wing propaganda, really, even though the main character purports to be a Republican, which is great, because, like, I, 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 like everybody else, really love to have my political views just fed back to me, and that's part of the problem with the news cycle. And there's some irony in this show because it's like, no, we're just reporting the facts, but really you're just reporting like the other side of the news in a way that the, the like a, a liberal news station can't because it's trying to maintain listeners. Like they can just say, yes, the Tea Party is the American Taliban and they can get away with it because they're a TV show and not actually a news organization. And they come down real right, hard yeah. on, yeah, they come down real hard on like news organizations that spend time covering nonsense garbage stories, like dramatic court cases about murders and stuff that doesn't actually have any relevance to what's going on in the world, but brings in a lot of viewers. Because they're, they're saying, well, that that's not good. That's garbage. That's not the news. That's just entertainment. This is this is the real news. But at the same time, like, this is just a, a TV show. It is just entertainment. So it's, like, yeah, really weird and self... Yeah, it's it's... It's. I mean, I guess it's it's smart because it's an Aaron Sorkin show. Uh, I'm enjoying it a lot. I wouldn't like. Uh, I wouldn't say that you should watch it. Maybe if you're a, a, a super hardcore right wing demagogue, but I enjoy it because I enjoy hearing my own views. Um, As do I. Yeah. Um, but it was funny because I was driving to work this morning. And I was listening to NPR, also another bastion of liberal media, I guess. And um, they they were talking about the Patriots. Did you hear about this or not? Um, I've heard bits and pieces. Okay, so uh, we're, we're going to talk about some sports ball on this podcast, I guess. Um, so the Patriots were found to have, I guess, in their last game, underinflated 11 of their 12 balls that they were playing with by two pounds. And if this is intentional, then it is cheating, and that's a huge problem, because I don't know anything about football, really, but I guess if a ball is underinflated, it doesn't go as far, like the, it, the physics of it, it is yeah, off. Yeah, it just doesn't perform correctly. Yeah, so... The the NPR caster was like the ESPN or like the the NFL hasn't hasn't said what's going to be done about this yet, uh, and then he said we could do a really lowbrow, tasteless story and take the low road about this, the Patriots, but instead I'm going to take the high road by asking you what does Mario Draghi, president of the European Central Bank, and the Patriots have in common? They're both worried about deflation, and then full. <laughs> Full cut to David Bowie under pressure for like twenty seconds. Fade out. That's the end of the news. Go to the weather. I was like, gutsy move, gutsy move. Uh, yeah, with that. that. That's pretty good though. I like it. I know, and I was like, this is exactly the sort of thing that would be on this show, and I'm really happy that NPR decided to do some good reporting about uh, and make a joke about this instead of covering it extensively. And of course, like the report was like ten seconds long. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was good. Um, 
I'm also, I also started listening to The Fellowship of the Ring on tape because I read that book in middle school. And uh, I figure I should probably refresh myself on it now that I'm an adult. It's uh, it's uh, it's just reminding me how much better that book is than the movies. And like, don't get me wrong; those those movies were enjoyable. Like they, in a way that the Hobbit movies are not enjoyable. Right. But there is just so much stuff that's important in these books that wasn't in the movies. Mostly Tom Bombadil. <laughs> right. I mean. I feel like I'm a bad nerd because I don't actually enjoy Lord of the Rings that much, but I've never been, like, a huge fantasy dude, I guess. Yeah, which is why you won't play Dragon Age, no matter how good it is. Well, yeah, I mean, at this point, it's mostly, like, momentum. It's mostly just, yeah, at this point, I can't because I've not played it yet. Yeah. I don't have to play all Um, of them. That's a huge time commitment. Um... Yeah, at this point it kind of is. Yeah, because it, it took. It, I would say, I mean, uh, really, you could even though I knew it was a good game. You really could just play the first one and ignore the others, even you the new say one. Say that, but uh, I will. The first one is an entirely self-contained story. I mean, I will. It's I will not like Mass Effect. To, uh, my experience with Bioshock, in which I still haven't played all of them because I can't get past the first one. Uh, okay, I'm not sure how well Bioshock One has actually aged. Uh, like, I, I know that it, it was a classic. Has not when aged it, that well. It is definitely okay. Like, it was better. really, really mind blowing when it came out. But I think that I mean, in the, 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 the intervening years, twist not, at the end, sure. But the gameplay was like it was interesting and new when it came out. I guess I'm not sure if it um, would have thrilled me that much when uh, if I, I also like when it came out. It is also a first-person shooter that I played all the way through, so... I, I might... I, yeah, yeah, I guess... I, it's got uh, a really good story. Like, not just the plot twist at the end, but, like, there's this... There are scenes in Bioshock that I found super affecting when I played through it. Like, um... I don't know, did you get to the, the part where you fight the surgeon? I think he's, like, the first major boss. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, a decent amount through the game. Okay, so, like, for me, playing that game in, I don't know what, like, high school or whatever, coming across, like, the the surgeon and, like, him talking about beauty as moral imperative, and then, like, coming across his entire furnace laboratory where he was just burning people like the Nazis did because he didn't meet their, like, his arbitrary standards of beauty. I found that to be super powerful. I was also, like, in high school, so maybe I wouldn't feel the same way now, but that doesn't carry a game. Like, all of those moments... There's also a... There, there are a bunch of interesting moments in Bioshock, but I don't know how right. the gameplay is. I've been, I've been playing corridor shooters for way too long for mm-hmm. the gameplay to really be that compelling. Yeah. Um, d- on the other hand, Dragon Age is just a Dungeons & Dragons campaign. The original Dragon Age is just a Dungeons & Dragons campaign run by a computer. Like, you can see the die rolls, basically. It's... So, like, if you want to play a D&D campaign, that is where to go. Um, and that, like, I love that, because I really enjoy playing D&D, but that's all it is. I, I like making my DM angry in D&D, so. Yeah, the DM is really good at not getting angry at Dragon Age. Yeah, so, hmm. he, he does think of it, like, you could really, really mess up the story. Like, he'll he'll just let you do that, but he won't react to it, because he's a computer. Yeah, I guess, I, I will not get to have my Kanye West moment, I guess, so. Uh, there are bards in that game, though. Yeah, but can you be a bard that crushes things with a grand piano? No, I think you can be a bard that crushes things, but there are, a piano is unwieldy. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't fit in your pack. Anyway, so I, um, I guess that's what I watched. The, the Microsoft Keynote was today, 
Windows 10 will be free if you own 7 or 8. Yay! Um, I, I, Windows 9 I, I just see, doesn't yeah, exist. I saw that today, and I was like, wait, what happened to 9? Did I, did I miss 9? They, okay, so I think what they said was, not, I, don't, I didn't watch the keynote, but I read, I read some stuff about it, and I read their earlier announcement when they were talking about 10 a couple months ago. Right. They were saying that Windows 10 will be the last Windows release as an operating system, and they wanted to just end it on 10 as a round number. Right, yeah. Which doesn't make any sense, I guess, but too bad. And that from now on they're going to do... Mean, to be fair, like, uh, Apple has been on uh, OS ten for like... Well, no, it's been on OS X, right? It's right. different. You're right. It's, it's not ten, but they, they have ended on an even number, so to speak, right. for the past... Uh, right. Like so I guess years. Microsoft's strategy is to after Windows 10, just deliver small content updates to individual portions of the operating system rather than having to do an entire iterative release every two years, right. three years. Right, yeah. Which is, I mean, like, that is the correct way to be building software at this point. Exactly, yeah. It was getting pretty frustrating uh, having the UI massively overhauled, like, every three years. Right. Um, they also talked about holograms. They were just like, look, holograms. Montana. Uh, Halo. Everything is Halo now. Um, you're going to be able to stream games from your Xbox One to your PC. That's actually a neat feature. Uh, yeah, I mean, are there Halo. any exclusive Xbox One games that are worth playing? Halo? That's not exclusive. To, I guess the new one will be, but at this point, there aren't any exclusive Halos on Xbox One. Yeah. Um, Every, like... Well, Halo eventually. You know, I, I don't think it's worth... I guess, uh, I guess you'll be able to use a mouse in Halo, which will be a huge advantage. Yeah, actually, I have to admit, um, having played both uh, Combat Edition or Combat Evolved on PC and the original Halo on the Xbox, the PC felt way better. Plus, you got a flamethrower yeah. in that game. Yep. Um... Well, and I guess the last thing was that Club Nintendo is uh, closing its doors. Which is upsetting, because it's the first year that I've, I've been a part of Club Nintendo. And also... I, I need 180 from, more uh, coins. I don't know where I'm going to get 180 coins. I guess I could... Because they said every product that was that's produced after January of this year doesn't count for coins. Well, after, it, after yesterday... So as of I mean, I was gonna, as of today. At first I was like, oh, I'll just like I'll get a new Nintendo 3DS at some point before June. And then I realized, oh, like that's a thing that came that comes out after that date. Yeah, exactly. That's not going to get me any oh, points. Oh, this shouldn't be too bad. I'll just get a Rainbow Curse and uh oh, wait a second. Yeah. So like none of the Nintendo games that are coming out are actually going to help. If my Amiibo were to count for Club Nintendo somehow, I have to yeah. be so you have until the end of March to get to platinum. I I want to just because I've been platinum every other year, and I want to go out on a strong note. I don't want to drop the ball now. This is the finish line, right? So yeah, give Nintendo more money. Do it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, it was suggested that I set up a family account because it lets you use multiple emails but have them all go to the same place because it's uh, as if you are a family and then just register like seven or eight different copies of Link's crossbow training across different accounts and have funnel all those coins to me. That could work, yeah. That, uh, so, like, there, there is always that 49 cent per code option. You're going to buy those off of your brother? Uh, I, I think at this point he has 300 and something of them. 
Someone offered him 600 bucks for Yeah, that. I remember. I don't understand. And he decided that he'd get more money. Yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand why anyone would want to buy a copy, let alone 300. I would buy a copy for 49 cents. That's fair. You know what? If I get, if I get an hour of gameplay out of it, 49 cents for an hour of entertainment is a great value price. You know, I'll be fine with five minutes of gameplay for 50 cents. Yeah. So, um, I did, uh, I did sell off three Mega Man battle chips for $200. Yeah, that, that went through? Yeah, he, some guy contacted me, paid me that day, mailed him out. Sweet. Three of them. I still have like 300 left from all those years ago. For listeners who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, the Mega Man Battle Network games had a bunch of toys that were kind of like Amiibos, I guess. They let you, they like added stuff to your game in Japan, but they were also like trading cards that you just bought blind packs of them, and there were hundreds of them. And I have hundreds of them that I uh, invested in back when they were a hot commodity among Mega Man fans, and I I invested in basically a complete set and sold off a bunch of them and made a huge amount of money, but I just have hundreds of them left. And I figured, well, I guess I'll hold on to these, and I decided to see if there was a market for them again. 200 bucks for three of them. So uh, get into the Mega Man market now. This is where the money is. Forget about the stocks. It's all about the battleship market. Yeah, I mean, in terms of stocks, like, this is a... Pretty good return on investment, even though it's like tagging the chunk. I, I think I have made more than two hundred percent my investment on these easily. Anyway, what about you? What have you been watching or doing or reading or um, the thing thinking? Let's see. Uh, I watched. I, I watched a whole bunch of random stuff on Netflix. I don't really remember most of it, but I remember I started rewatch or started trying to finish. Uh, the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure season that I have left, because I remember I finished uh, parts one and two, which are like Phantom Blood and Battle Tendency, and Stars Crusaders, which is the uh, probably the more most famous um, story arc of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, uh, is was fully translated like a while ago, and I just kind of forgot about it until now. And it's like, oh wow, I've got like twenty episodes of this to watch, so I've been uh, getting through it pretty slowly. It's uh, pretty fantastic. It went going from a uh, six-episode uh, thing to a uh, 26-episode thing. It was, like, pretty awesome, uh, especially since, uh, I mean, the show is, like, incredibly campy. And tons of fun uh, musical references everywhere. Um, and, it's, yeah, just a lot of fun. I'm, I'm enjoying watching it again. Um... A new episode of Ghost in the Shell Arise was put onto Netflix, I just remembered. Uh, so, that was good. Ghost in the Shell is always nice. Although, um, not really... Sh- I, I, don't, I don't think I like Arise as much as I enjoy Standalone Complex, but to be fair, I, not many things can really hold that much water to Standalone Complex, in my opinion. Like, it, it just so deeply went into a lot of philosophy and... Um, political issues uh, while, you know, having these interesting action sequences, exploring transhumanism and all that, and it doesn't really go into that as as much in Arise, because Arise is is more of a Batman Begins than is a Dark Knight, I guess. But it's fine. You know, it's it's got some interesting story, it's doing some interesting things with the character's backstories as it sort of starts to, uh, assemble uh, the crew 
and, you know, make them become the Section 9 that we know and love today. So, if I haven't watched any of this, where should I start? Uh, start with the, uh, the Ghost in the Shell movies. They're just solid, solid movies in general. Um, that kind of give you a feel for the universe and the story. Um, I definitely recommend, uh, or if you don't want to, if you only want to watch one piece of media, I guess, is just go through the standalone complex, uh, seasons one and two. They are, it's just solid anime. Uh, lots of, uh, philosophy, lots of, uh, interesting, uh, thoughts about the human condition. Hmm. I don't know, man. Anime is for nerds. Yeah, anime is for nerds, so, I mean. You could just not watch any of it, and that's fine, too. Isn't there a live-action Ghost in the Shell coming out? Yeah, there's a lot of controversy about it, because uh, they cast uh, Scarlett Johansson as uh, the very Japanese-named Motoko Kusanagi. Okay. Uh, I mean, she's Asian, right? So yeah, what's the problem? I mean, people are saying that, like, well, technically she could not be Asian because she swaps bodies all the time. Like, technically, she doesn't even have to be a woman because she is constantly... Uh, like, for a long time, supposedly before uh, most of the anime movies and series, uh, she spent a lot of time swapping in and out of both male and female bodies because, whatever, you're a full cyborg, you can do that. But, I mean, there, there's a reason why the creators chose uh, for her to be a woman, I guess. And part of it is due to fan service, so... I was going to say, sex appeal yeah, is basically it's, it's, the only reason I'm coming up with. I mean, they, they have some interesting justifications, like in Standalone Complex, uh, the Major is predominantly a lesbian because of the way that cybersex works in this universe. Huh. And it just works out better with same couple pairing, so, yeah. Okay. But, uh, I mean, yeah... I, at least in the more recent adaptations of Ghost in the Shell, it's pretty obvious that um, everything in that, or yeah, the universe that they're building is primarily set in Japan. So it is a little bit disappointing that uh, they would choose to uh, whitewash this movie. Though I, I'm going into this movie with about as high expectations as uh, Dragon Ball Evolution or The Last Airbender. The Last Airbender. So, yep. you know. You can you can bring uh, great actresses like Scarlett Johansson, but I'm pretty sure it won't be that good. All right. Anything else? Uh, yeah, uh, Lupe Fiasco's new album came out. It's called Tetsuo and Youth. Uh, mm-hmm. It's pretty good. It's like uh, listening to a advanced course on hip hop, and uh, it's it's difficult to try to get through because. Like it's it's an advanced course. I mean, I need to sit through and uh, listen to it several more times. But so far, it's been uh, it's been uh, fun. Lupe Fiasco tends to be a pretty sweet rapper. Uh, usually, uh, it has been a good mix of you know the uh, socially conscious rapping uh, while having great production and a enough of a pop mainstream appeal. Huh. Oh, speaking of which, the Decemberists album came out yesterday. Their new album for oh yeah yeah I have not for the first time since 
2011, I guess. Yeah, I I listened to one of the singles when they sent me an email about it a couple months ago, and I was like, eh, I'm not sure I like this. But then I thought, oh, the, the, you know, it's a single. They probably picked the most pop marketable song on the album. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, I read the the New York Times review of it, and they said uh, that there are fewer thistles and minarets and palaquins and sort of less digressive musical excesses than in their older work. I'm not sure I feel about that, because I think that was what I liked about them. Yeah, I mostly enjoyed their uh, ability to keep the music very interesting, using a wide variety of instruments, while also having just, like, like very... two sousaphones? Yeah, it, while also having just, like, very deep lyrical content. Yeah, so, I don't know. I'm, I'll, I'll listen to yeah. it, because I like them, but I'm not... I'm, I'm concerned. That said, I really liked their last album, despite it being very different for them. So, who knows? Yeah, I mean, I mean, they they're certainly not going to uh, publish the Mariner song like again every no. year. So, yep. So, did you read the book that Colin Malloy put out like during this break? Uh, the, he, no, wrote, I, he wrote like a children's I don't book. Think I did. I've got it around here somewhere because I got a free copy, but I haven't read it yet. I, it it looks like a Decemberist album, only a book. All right. Um, That's- but I know that he's written two of them, and they're just like young adult novels. That's a good way to sell the book. I'm interested. Yeah. Like, just the... I, I think it's because his wife does the cover art for their albums, and I think she also did the cover for the book. So. Fair enough. Thanks. Yeah. All right, we should probably, uh... We should probably wrap it up. Yeah, go to the back to Go to the later. interview section? I don't know. This is all being recorded out of order. I'm sorry, listeners, if none of this makes any sense. We've had to splice a bunch of stuff together. Uh, we should we should um, make this our in media res podcast. This podcast is ruined. <laughs> yep. This should be the one actually that we record backwards and then uh, do again backwards. I feel like we would need a, to do an episode without a guest for that. <laughs> so thank you, thank you, David, for uh, for coming on the show and, and donating your time to our. Our listener base. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Joe. We uh we appreciate it. You are free to come back anytime you like if you want to talk more about Shovel Knight or Captain Toad. I guess. <laughs> we'll do. We could just do like a, an hour on Captain Toad, the Captain Toad cast. Yeah, that'd be great. We all we all do it, at, but we all do it in Toad's voice. <laughs> just all of us. The I'm sold. Time. When we start. Can you imagine an entire podcast just done by Toad? I would imagine it would be like. You know, the most listened to up for five seconds <laughs> podcast ever created. Yeah, it would, be, it would be the mouth sounds of podcast. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, if people wanted to get into contact with us, uh, they could send us an email at theredpagespodcast.com. They could follow us on Twitter, uh, Red Pages Podcast. They could find us on Facebook, also, Red Pages Podcast. What about you? What if they wanted to find you, your stuff? Uh, if they wanted to find our stuff, they could go to yachtclubgames.com or at yachtclubgames at twi- on Twitter or yachtclubgames on Facebook. Or mm-hmm. uh, they could email us at support at yachtclubgames.com or they could... Uh, if they want to get in touch with me directly, uh, my Twitter is DandyYCG. Uh, and, that's and we'll link out to that in the show notes, too, for you. Right, awesome. Um, who is our next guest? I don't know. We don't have a next guest, Paul. We don't have a next uh, guest. A shame. 
That's not true. We do have a next guest, but I'm not allowed to tell you who it is yet. Um, uh, because he has to check with his legal team to see whether he's allowed to be a guest. <laughs> um, so stay tuned. We'll be back in two weeks, I guess, for the next show. That will be February, what? February 4th, I guess. Um, but until then, uh, see, see you listeners and uh, keep on... Trucklestein. That's not a thing. It will never be a thing. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I've ended Terrifying. more than half our episodes I mean, with that. I say it all the time. What? I, I say Trucklestein all the time. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. No, See, not you too. No. It, it totally makes a like. Nice.